Welcome to The Washdown, episode number 43, and today we are talking with Adam James. Adam is a former firefighter who has transitioned into becoming a chaplain, and we talk about a wide variety of subjects, um, and it's just a really, really great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it, and look for his program in the future and support that. So without further ado, this is the Washdown episode number 43 with Adam James. No, it never yeah. was healthy. Well, and we talked about yeah. this the other day yeah. of a, a person trying to be a red ass. Yeah. yeah. And it was through text. It was me and a buddy. And I told him, I said, the, that, that old school red ass yeah. is gone. Yes. Now you just it needs like to dick. be gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just come off as a jerk. Yeah, it needs to be gone because part of that is a suppression of how people need to cope, and we're killing coping mechanisms and promoting alcoholism and drug use and everything else. It's all the wrong things. Yeah, because that's what being a real man is supposed to be. And, I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's one thing to yeah. mess with each other, make jokes, make fun of somebody. Yeah, in a funny way. Because mm-hmm. we all do that. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you're the bat. Sometimes you're the ball. It depends yeah. on what you did or what you said. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah. And it's not meant to beat you down. It's just meant to have fun at the station. I mean, yeah, a lot of the times... 95% yeah. of the people at the station are male. Yeah. yeah. There's so a fine line between ball busting for fun and mean-spiritedness. Yeah. And that line gets crossed too often for us to really understand where it is. Yeah. And I used to love it. I used to think it was a blast. Yeah. I worked with Clay Calvin, and he was one of the best like red-ass ball busters you could be around. Love the guy. And at the same time, it killed my self-esteem for years yeah. it took me years to recover from it and I still work on it well you know I think the the important thing to remember about it and the kind of I don't know if it's a skill or whatever that's mm-hmm. been lost is there is a like that is a can be used as a teaching tool yeah you know and when it's done that way and done correctly it can be effective but whenever it's like how it's done 90% of the time yeah it is not effective and it you know, has an adverse it's hurtful. Yes, yes, it's hurtful. It's hurtful because yes. it's like we're we're in a culture of conformity in order to become trustworthy. Yeah. In order to do the job, you have to fit in. You have to show stability. You have to show that you're reliable. Mm-hmm. And when you cry at the firehouse, and I've seen a couple guys break down, that makes everybody wonder whether or not you can do the job. Yeah. So there's a self-pressure not to fall apart, mm-hmm. and then even more pressure not to allow anybody around you to get to that space where they'll fall apart, too. And, and people mm-hmm. that have never been in the, obviously the military, yeah. p- the police service, law enforcement, fire, yeah. EMS, something where it's life and death. Even on, You can even throw oil rigs in there because you never know what's going to happen on those. We've all seen deep water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, his, his dad used to work on oil rigs. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's you got to be able to trust that person next to you. Yeah. Well, and if you look at any of the trade jobs, the traditional trade jobs, they're dangerous. They're hard. Uh, they require a certain level of um, risk. And that risk is going to come with the territory of emotional stability to show fearlessness. And you have to have that. I mean, we we all know what it's like to put your air mask on and shut your brain off and just go with your training because you have to. If you overthink it, you'll find yourself not able to move forward or not be able to do what you need to do. Well, yeah, because every 
nerve in your body and every brain cell is telling you that building is on fire. Yeah. Do not go in there. Even the rats are running out. Yeah. <laughs> and we're running past them on the <laughs> yeah, way in. Yeah. 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 It, it's, I call, I call it off centeredness. That's right. You know, and <laughs> that's how I, how I explain it. It's, it's a training process and we learn this stuff starting in the fire academy. I think we all probably come to the fire service with some level of understanding what you're getting into. Just like any blue collar job. There's a lot of people that grow up around those traditions and trades and I th- find themselves in them. Yeah. I think there's a, you kind of know what you're getting into at a surface level. Yeah. Like, because there's things that you can see, you know, just in everyday life, you can see what, you know, the fire service does police department or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have that, you think, you know, level of knowledge. Yeah. It's, but whenever you get into it, it gets way deeper. And I mean, I don't think that there's any way that, I mean, could we obviously prepare people better? Yes. Could we prepare someone totally for everything they're going to see on the job? Absolutely not. There's just no way to do that. No. So with that, Adam, thanks for coming on yeah. the show, man. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is a passion of mine for years. I learned it when I uh, worked for our firefighters union for some time that I cared a lot about the people that do the job. It's a hard job, whether or not you're catching an ambulance, a fire truck, if you're in a police car, uh, even if you're working in an emergency department at a hos- at, in a hospital, you are dealing with other people's traumas, and they eventually become your own traumas if you don't watch out. And... Part of that is learning how to struggle with that because struggling is a part of what we have to do as humans. We all have pain. We all have things in our lives that are going to come out in the worst possible way if we're put under stress. So some of the things that we have found in the United States in the past 20 or 30 years is that we're not handling stress as well as we used to. Um, I came armed today with some, some data and, uh, <laughs> and that's just, just because I think there's, there's an argument to be made and, uh, NPR did a study back in March that shows that, uh, fewer than half of the United States adults belong to a religious congregation. And as a matter of fact, the number cited was, um, was 47% qualify as identifying as religious. Um, now what, what they identify as is spiritual, but not practicing. And, and that's fine, as long as there is some emphasis on recognizing your need for spirituality, because we need something that's good to go back to when we go through really bad things and hard things. So you think there's a cause and effect link there between the amount of mental issues that we're seeing in the country to, because uh, I would assume that that mm-hmm. number is lower than it's ever been as yeah. far as the... The religious. Uh, it's, it's the lowest that it's been in the 80 years that the Pew Research uh, Facility has been doing the study. Um, they have recognized that Americans, by and large, have moved further and further away from organized religion, not just Christianity, as I identify, but any version of organizational religion that gives a structure of accountability and support. Um, if you look at the, we think about in the fire service, the fire tetrahedron, the three things that it takes to make fire, well, our, our wellness takes three things, and we often leave the third one out. We hear a lot about physical wellness with the amount of training that we have to do. Uh, we are now in the past decade hearing a lot about psychological wellness and the, thing, the things that are, we're running into there. What we're not hearing about um, hardly at all in the first responder community is spiritual wellness, and that's really a shame 
because if you look at the Department of Veterans Affairs, the military service has recognized for at least 50 years through their studies that spiritual wellness is absolutely essential to keep up the psychological and the physical wellness. Um, if you look in the hospital settings, many hospital institutions are tied or associated with religion. They've always had a chaplain present for the patients and the staff, recognizing that physical healing or psychological healing can be aided by spiritual healing and recognizing what spirituality is versus religion. They go very, very close together, but they're a little bit different. It's kind of like that Venn diagram where things overlap. And in the middle is your wellness, your spiritual wellness. Everything has a soul. It's just a matter of how you nurture and feed that soul. And unfortunately, in our increasingly secular society, the, the uh, fire service as well as other first responder communities are going to reflect the uh, lack of spiritual well-being and religious well-being in, in their community. But we're dealing with a lot more trauma and a lot more stress and a lot more expectation to not fail and sacrifice everything. That can lead to spiritual crisis. And I would argue that I've gone through that at least once in my life. I'm sure many others have as well. Yeah, I don't think that that's a... Yeah. Not, I would debate that. Yeah, I've, you know, and, and and the thing is, if you came for a debate, Adam, you are sorely mistaken. Yeah, no, we no. agree. I, I do have a question. Do you yeah. think so? The study says forty-seven percent. Yeah. Do you think there's? Um, I don't want to word it. Do you think it's because of the way religion has been portrayed in the media in the uh, last absolutely. decade? Absolutely. I mean, you see certain groups protesting. Yeah. We're not going to name names, but, and then you see like, <clears throat> like with religion and, and gay rights mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and then so just, cause even, that's old Testament stuff and you got the new Testament. Most people follow. Well, think about all the scandals. Well, there's with a scandals too. So you, mm -hmm. if you look at, and it's not specific for a denomination, you know, cause the Catholics had their thing, you know, you can go all the way back into you know, the 80s and 90s with Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the evangelical Christians. And I mean, whenever you constantly are seeing examples of this, it's easy for people to go, you know what, maybe I don't want to be a part of that. Because it, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. it's a trust thing. So yeah, I'm trusting these people and I'm giving all this effort or doing whatever. And it comes out they were just lying. Yeah, the whole time and there, and to take is, advantage. There is some of that. I mean, yeah. who's the the big one that uh, locked the doors for Katrina? Or was there no, not Katrina? Oh, it was Joel Olstein. Yeah, Olstein. I mean something like that. Yeah, I mean that yeah. that really hurts religion as a whole and orga organized religion. It absolutely does, and um, I think you know we we could have an entirely different conversation about the philosophy and psychology of increase in media in our country not necessarily increasing our knowledge. I wouldn't even call it the media anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's it. propaganda it's, it's, at this point. Yeah. When I was a kid in the 80s, the Encyclopedia Britannica was a pretty special thing that mom yes. and dad bought for us. Yes, I had the entire set. I, I did too. <laughs> yeah. I did too. And, and it's an Episcopal thing. It, it really is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, now everybody has Google. Yeah. Everybody can just go to the Internet of Things to find well, so that I, information. I saw a TikTok video, and I think I told you about it. 
and tick, my wife got me sucked onto TikTok. And I hate her for it. Yeah, I love it myself. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Well, yeah, there's a lot. There's there's some cool stuff in there. Some funny stuff. But this guy was in a Starbucks talking about all the misinformation on Google. Yeah. And, and, and Google is being used because it's the biggest one out there, right? But and he's going off. He's you know on a, he's on a soapbox on a tirade. It was funny. But he was talking about coffee. I mean, something simple. And all the misinformation you can get. Is coffee bad for you? I'm going to Google it. And it pulled up a whole bunch of articles of coffee being bad for you. You know, too many cups a day or a week or whatever. He goes, but is coffee good for you? He Googles that, and it pulls up a whole bunch of articles yep. of why coffee is good for you. So what's the truth? And well, of course, it's moderation. Is, yeah. is the whole, is, I mean, that's, that's beside the point. Well, and that's, yeah. that's, that's what shows we call you. confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. exactly what yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We can find information and data to support whatever it is that we want to argue. And if you are looking for yellow cars on the road, psychologically, you'll find yourself in awe because here go the yellow cars driving by you all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for bad in religion, you're going to find bad in religion. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a construct built by humans. Humans are inherently going to do human things. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be sinful creatures. And I know that sounds like it's condemnation, but the reality is, is we can't not be the biological creatures that we are. We have souls that are attached to our bodies and they are deeply tied to that divine creator. I happen to call that, that God, other people call that other things. And that's perfectly fine. What is, um, is sad is when you see people that are so hurt by institutional religion that they deny the presence of anything good and unfortunately it happens Mm -hmm. and in a tradition like the uh, the emergency responder services where you see a lot of awful things, it's easy to start writing off any good divine justice in the world. Yeah, and I've had that conversation and thoughts about that, and I kind of have gone back and forth with it mm-hmm. myself because on one hand, it's true. You know, you see all this terrible stuff. And you're like, how could God allow this? Yeah. And then on the other hand, you see all this, like you save somebody when you're doing CPR or something like that. And you're like, well, of course I believe in God because everything happens for a reason and mm-hmm. all that. So, and it's very easy to go from one side to the other. But, you know, I think, I think yeah. the thing is we all have that, that free will that we all talk about or, you know, religion talks about it because mm-hmm. he's not going to control you. You're going to make your own decisions. You yeah. know, and it's so true. It's interesting because, um, C.S. Lewis became a Christian during this time of the early 20th century when he was trying to disprove Christianity as a valid religion. And um, he tried to explain human pain and suffering. And I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of digging into the subject because I think anybody that's done the job we've done is going to struggle with understanding human pain and suffering. And he wrote a 200-page book about this and at the very end explained I'd be a fool to try and say that I understand the answer. There is no answer. It's a, it's a mystery. And there's really not any credible theologian out there that's going to say God is making us suffer or we're suffering for a purpose. In the tradition of Christianity I come from, the Episcopal Church, we believe that God suffers with us, right alongside with us. We don't know why God can't stop the suffering. Um, because God created all things, everything that we see and don't see. And why do we suffer? We don't know. 
we know biologically suffering and pain is a biological response to danger. Our bodies tell us that we're in danger of uh, an imminent life threat. That's why we hurt. That's why we, we struggle with anxiety and fear. The brain doesn't turn off what kind of fear it is. It's just fear of end of life. Well, I'll throw this kind of back on a philosophical thing, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but pain and suffering leads to growth. Absolutely, Kim. So if you are stagnant, comfortable, never stressed, or you never stretch yourself out, you never grow. You will be the same always. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it the other day, the the 24-hour clone principle. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So basically, at 7 a.m., there's a clone that's going to be made, and it's exactly like you are right now. At midnight, you have to fight that clone to the death. So it is up to you to improve in something. Now, that battle could be physical, mental, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to you to improve enough during the day that you can take out your own clone. Wow. And then guess what? It happens again the next day. So it's it's kind of like one of those always push yourself and stretch be, yourself be out. Be the best version yeah. of Be the best version of yourself that you can be. You know, what I, and what I like about that, that model is it um, impresses upon your mind to live in the now live in today Mm -hmm. Um, a very wise uh, mentor of mine who is an Episcopal priest and a chaplain in a local hospital here told me recently he said try to cast a 12 o'clock shadow we all have a shadow side we all have things that are awful and ugly and bad and sinful Um, and in the morning that shadow is really long in one direction behind you and can be longer than your body in the evening he can do the same thing but in the opposite direction but right in the middle of the day, you get that shadow that's around you, but it's right underneath you, and it's the smallest it can be. You know it's there, but it's not overtaking your actual self. And I absolutely love that metaphor because I think harnessing the bad side of us, the side that we're ashamed of, that we don't really want to show off to the world, is critical for us to take the power away from it so it doesn't take our life away from us. And that's a little bit about what spiritual practice in a community is. Um, And that's the thing that I see lacking in the first responder world is a presence of a spiritual practice. So how do we fix it, Adam? Yeah, so, you know, uh, (laughs) right now I'm in a process of raising awareness over this issue. Um, As I have done some studies in my uh, seminary, as I'm still in the process of uh, being educated and moving towards ordination, I have realized there's an absolute lack of qualitative or quantitative data on first responders and spiritual wellness. Um, There's work that needs to be done. There's quite a few in the first responder world that are starting to pop up all about the same time right now and realize that we have this issue. Um, I've met a few people in the area over the summer. Rachel is one of them. Um, I've met another firefighter uh, from the Kansas side who's working on the same thing. And recognizing that... um, something needs to be understood about what we do and i think the spiritual practice already exists and we need to name it we need to bring it forward and then create a space for people to safely share their struggles the firehouse is not the place we have to be ready to go ready to respond to every alarm and be stable reliable dependable all those things we need to have each other's backs But if you look at a lot of the 12-step programs, they do a great job of creating a spiritual community in a secular space. They don't name it as necessarily spiritual, but they do the three 
critical things that are needed for a spiritual community. They pray together, they perform service acts together, and th those two things together creates a community that's the summation of prayer and spiritual practice. And they hear each other, they testify to each other, and that's needed. We've done a little bit of that today here around the table, and that is already creating community. And in those spaces, away from the firehouse, with people that you know have gone through similar things, having a dinner together, making a meal together even, there's something holy about that. It brings people together to open up and talk about their struggles. And when you have that community of people that you are essentially worshiping with, because worship means to work, you're working with. You're working on yourself or you're working on your profession, you're working on something. And in reality, you need, we're communal creatures as humans, we need each other. In my spiritual practice, um, in the Episcopal Church, we believe that our community uh, practice is just as important as our individual salvation and relationship with God. It is, it is so critical that we live in community together through all the difficult things, through all the disagreements, because in between those times, there are all the great times too, where you're having a great party, you're really getting along, you're, you're best friends, they really get you, you really get them. And that's just the human experience on this planet, is being in, being in community together. And, and we have one of the toughest and, and most supportive communities in the first responder world um, as a, you know, firefighting is a team sport. You can't do it by yourself. So we have bonds and I would argue that we have some spiritual practice and bringing awareness to it is really key to helping people find that spiritual health that they need to help with their psychological health and to help with their physical health. Those three things really tie together. There's studies that the departments of veterans affairs have done that have shown that spiritual wellness and recognizing something bigger than yourself is critical for your um for your physical health and your psychological health yeah i mean it makes sense and i could see why they would do that study for sure he did more work prep work than we did I, <laughs> it's dude, all good it's it's so awesome I, i'm just gonna quit now yeah <laughs> i resign effective immediately it is so awesome <laughs> when, when a guest comes prepared it's like it's great. I love hey, it. You I don't know, know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I, you know, do I put it in my pocket? Do I, I you know, it's all good. What do I do? Mutual, mutual Admiration Society, I, I absolutely love what you guys have been doing. And I've been watching the podcast for some time before mm -hmm. I even met your Thank wife. You. We appreciate it. And Thank recognize you. that somebody's doing something out of the ordinary and it's needed. It's needed yeah. to talk about these issues. Well, and, you know, yeah. And I think just talking about it and raising awareness it's going to help pull that stigma down. That's it. Because, I mean, that's 99% of the time, that's what it is. It's just a stigma. That's the roadblock. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people are hurting. They've gone through things. They mostly want to talk. But there's that stigma there of, man, if I start talking about this, then they're going to think I'm you know, crazy. I'm, yeah. Crazy. Yes. Or yeah. I'm, I'm weak or I don't belong yeah. on the job or this or that. Yeah. No, dude, we've all had those calls. Yep. We've all had that time in our life, you know, and if you talk about it, get it off your chest, mm -hmm. it helps you move those memories from the wrong part of the brain to the right part of the brain. Yes. And then, you know, 
the emotions that are attached with all that stuff, yeah. all the trauma gets dampened down. Absolutely. So, and with, you know, the spiritual wellness, I think it's going to be a lot of the same thing. I think so it's, too. I think people will probably be more open to it once it's presented and just talked about. Yeah. And you know, something Chris said something earlier that I wanted to address about um, some Christians who use their faith in the name of condemning other human beings, specifically our LGBT friends. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of Christianity, and I would argue the majority of Christianity is con- is condemning towards no, people. No, and, and I didn't mean it yeah, that no, way. No, 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 I know all. you didn't. Uh, I, just, I just think it's important that... But that's as, the way the media makes it. It, it, it. it is, and it can be, but it, it's important that as people who believe in following the way of Jesus, that we are accepting all people just like Jesus did, because... He lived a life with people that were the highest level of sinners, whether they were tax collectors or prostitutes, and he didn't condemn anybody and say, you're not worthy of my time. He intentionally spent more time with people. And I'm not saying that anybody in the LGBT community is sinful. I I theologically don't believe there is any sin there whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I think there's arguments that can be made going deep into the Old Testament that justify that the human experience involves heterosexuality and homosexuality and has for much of time. Humans are complicated, and how we love and who we love is something that we're always going to battle each other over when it comes to trying to exclude those who are not worthy enough. Well, I mean, you know as well as I do how many different denominations of Christianity are there. Oh, thousands. Yeah. Thousands. And it's because of, well, I like this part, but mm-hmm. I don't like this part. So I don't agree with the people who like this part. So yeah. we're going to be this group. Yeah. And that's what it, I mean, we do the same thing, you know, with our policies and procedures. We do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you work in that district. It's yeah. not the same as this district over here. We do a way better over here. Yeah. Yeah. Or same you thing. work on that shift. Oh, yeah. you guys are so lazy. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day. Uh, one of the guys went to a conference or like a speech or whatever, mm-hmm. and the guy came out and said, all firemen are lazy. Everybody's like, no, I'm not. Was it a cop? No, he was, he was reti- <laughs> he's retired. Oh, okay. retired yeah. <laughs> he's a retired fire chief. I can't remember where. Yeah. But that's how he opened. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody's like, oh, I'm not lazy. I'm like, mm-hmm. He goes, well, ask B-shift what they think of A-shift. Ask C-shift what they think of B-shift. Oh, man. And yeah, that's true. A-shift about B, you know, about C-shift. Yeah. And what's, they're lazy, they don't do nothing. Well, that's not exactly true. Yeah. But now all firemen are lazy. Yep. I think there's still a website out there called bshifter.com. Probably. And it was like created out of a fire department on the West Coast that it took great pride that B shift was the only real shift on the fire department. Everybody <laughs> else was just a cleanup crew or they were making it a mess for B shift <laughs> procedures. Always makes me laugh. Some things are universal. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> as as a chaplain um, we talk about these things in clinical pastoral education and people say, well, what's that? It's like, well, if you go into a hospital setting to become a physician or a nurse, there's a process. You don't just get a stamp of approval, get a degree and go to work. You have to spend time in a clinical setting doing the work as a practice and then being analyzed for your work. So we do the same thing for hospital chaplains. You, sp- you spend time as a resident before you can become a certified and board's board educated staff chaplain and we go over human nature and human feelings we have this thing called the feeling wheel and it, it sounds exactly like it does mm-hmm. but this thing's on the wall and we talk about it it's like okay you're feeling angry and that's in the red area what's that mean if you look on the opposite side of that wheel and it shows powerlessness 
you're angry because you don't feel like you have power or control over whatever it is that's causing you a, a feeling of discomfort. And one of the things I hear in my, my time through this training is I hear a lot of shame coming out of these com- conversations about, oh, we do it better in this district than we do in this district. Oh, they don't fight fire like we do in the suburbs. That shame comes from a place that we can't control, and that is something that has impressed upon us, and we carry the weight of that stuff without having any sort of like like feeling processing with, with psychiatry and, and therapy and counseling. And chaplains have this knack for coming in and helping you peel back the first layer of the onion and uncover those feelings that are buried. So let me ask you this question because, and you, I think you had answered it a little bit, but so it's about cultural competency. Mm-hmm. So then I think with you, you know, being a former firefighter for many years mm-hmm. and then now transitioning into this, how important do you think it would be going forward in the future? You know, say you're getting a program off the ground to have someone like yourself also involved, you know, that was because the fire department culture is different than normal culture. It sure is. So, yeah. and if you send somebody in there that's not familiar with the culture, mm-hmm. how successful do you think they're going to be? We've seen in critical incident stress debriefings when therapists and counselors are brought in from the outside, <laughs> how awful that goes. I think they even get the, eaten yeah. alive. I think, I think the TV show Rescue Me did like a whole show on sensitivity training, and they just threw out yeah, as many racial were, slurs they as they could. Yeah, yeah. That's and one of the best scenes in the show. It is one of the best and scenes in the every, show. Every minority was represented right there and And everybody was equal in the eyes of each other in the eyes of the fire service gods they were all equal Um, except for the guy teaching except for the guy teaching who usually usually (laughs) usually he's run out of the room and and to answer your question jeremy i think it's critical to have that keystone that person that can help bridge that gap there Hmm. are really good people in the spiritual wellness community that can do a lot of good work with our first responder friends and brothers and sisters and there needs to be an education on both sides because one of the things i learned this summer spending my time doing a uh, clinical unit of pastoral education is how little prepared they were for my issues that popped up as a firefighter Uh, my perspective on different didactics where we would watch a movie about somebody that's dying from cancer and the guy that they look at in that movie, the young physician that's the biggest jerk and everybody in my, my fellow class looked at him like he there's nothing good about him. Like, and he's the guy that cares the most because he's trying to learn the job, but he had to dehumanize the patient to learn the job. I think we've all had to do that as EMTs. There's a point where you have to put away your feelings. It's just how do you process those feelings because they didn't really get put away properly. Yeah. And we have to pull them back out process them like we should and then put them away and there are good people that can help do that they need some education on their side to help first responders and first responders need an advocate to go into that space and and that's something i think i'm uniquely qualified to fill in in my church and the episcopal church um i keep running into this comment over and over again from the church leaders that they've never had a firefighter come into their world seeking ordination um and that kind of shocks me. I actually thought for sure, because I know pastors of other traditions. Um, I know a few uh, Muslim clerics that are out there um, on the job that are doing work. 
but it seems like we're lacking in Christianity a little bit. And, and maybe that's just in the tradition I come from. I think, I think a, people are more drawn to the non-traditional sure. churches than the traditional. Like, like we were talking about earlier, I like the tradition. Mm-hmm. I like the robes. I grew up when, when, when I grew up in the Episcopal church, it was, I was, my dad ran the acolytes. Oh, cool. So I was an acolyte all through <laughs> school. Oh man. And if there, if somebody didn't show up for the morning service, it was me. Yeah. If they show up and they'll, then I had to do the second service. So I'm there at 7 a.m. to do the 8:39. Yeah. And then the 11. So it was all morning in church. You did it. So were you, uh, what, what did you do? Everything in the acolyte service? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Did That's it all. Awesome. Started at the bottom, worked my way up. It was, yeah, I learned a lot. And yeah. honestly, the, the, so this was in Springfield, Illinois, when we lived, we lived there. Mm-hmm. It was Father Bill. And he was a huge Duke fan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like him for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an awesome dude. <laughs> but he was a Bears fan, so I mean, come on, how awesome can he be? Okay. Well, he was just—he seems like he was confused. Was he an older <laughs> gentleman <laughs> compared to a twelve-year-old? <laughs> but uh, so, and of course, I'm a huge KU fan. My dad went to Kansas. And yeah. I grew up a KU fan, so uh, we would instead of listening to the deacon do his sermon or whatever they was mm-hmm. they were doing. We're over here talking smack about basketball. Yeah, like like kids do. Yeah, and he was you know, he's all about it. He, he'd start it a lot of times. Yeah, but you know he was also just super down to earth. And we talk about he asked, he he was always interested in what you were doing in school. And then he'd get up and he'd mm-hmm. do a sermon, and of course you always open with a joke. Yeah, but the sermon seemed to always make sense to whatever was. It was weird because no matter what was going on, even as an adult, when I went back for a while, it was like whatever was going on in that week that sermon pertained to it somehow. And if that was me doing that in my head, like, Oh, I could do this, but it, it did seem to help. We, we have a phrase in my Episcopal parish. It's called yes. And because yes, it is pertaining to your life and you're finding ways to make it pertain to your life. There's no wrong answer. There's a lot of dual answers um, that come along. And that's why Holy scriptures um, can deeply impress upon our life. Because it's all of human nature and its relationship with the divine wrapped up into one. And there is, I think if I remember right, there's about 140 different human feelings. And there's a piece of scripture that can tie to that human feeling. The book of the Psalms is my favorite. Because if you go through Psalms, it's poetry. and Many believe that it was written by King David of Hebrew times that is about all of the human feelings, whether it's joy or lamenting a loss or anger at God, it's all there. And in the Episcopal tradition, we recite a, a Psalm every, every service. And there is something about that formality around the service, but then the joy of the informality in between the services or in the middle of the service, like you mentioned, the acolytes mm-hmm. that are snickering in the back with, with the priest. Um, that, that reminds me so much of the fire service. The bell rings, and it's the most formal thing. Orders are given. You don't disobey. And when you're at the firehouse, it's like a bunch of kids are sitting around the table yep. talking smack at each other about each other's favorite sports teams. Mm-hmm. And there's something beautiful about that because that's life. We find times when we get really serious, times when we get really playful, and we need those times, and we balance that. And the bigger picture overall that I'm seeing 
in, in the struggle for first responders and spiritual wellness is that we don't seem to have that balance towards feeling something greater than ourselves when we see a lot of injustice. And making sure everybody's welcome to come to that table regardless of how they identify or what kind of religion they practice is, is critical. In the hospital setting, um, the hospital system that I, I'm spending time in is um, welcoming of any denomination or religion in our, in our clinical pastoral education. We have Jewish rabbis as chaplains, Muslim clerics, many different denominations of Christianity. Uh, we have a, a Buddhist chaplain. And the things you learn from each other, the similarities that you have, and the wisdom you gain that can help you in other areas is critical when we bring all those different pieces to that one table. Yeah. And, and, we, and we need that. We, we need to interact with people different than us. Absolutely. If you spend all your time in an echo chamber, then... Turns you, into a cable news network. Yeah. I mean, I mean really, <laughs> regardless of your, your choice, it sounds yeah. like people screaming at each well, other. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things, and we've talked about it before, but it's like... When did we lose the ability as human beings and Americans in particular of being able to agree to disagree, sit down, have a conversation. Yeah. Okay. I understand. I get why you believe that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I believe this thing over here. Mm-hmm. Cool. Hey, let's go play some basketball. You, you know, know? And, and that's, that's part of the beauty of, I think the fire service dinner table is that we can have those conversations of disagreement and you're still on the job together, you're still running the calls together, we have something to teach the world. And that is how to have a level of respect for each other that translates past a disagreement. Um, in, in, my, in my Episcopal Parish, we have civil discourse conversations where we intentionally come together and talk about hot-button political issues of the day, not because we're there to disagree with each other, but because we're there to hear each other, regardless of whether or not we agree, and at the end of the day, agree that we care more about each other than we do each other's opinions, but we still care about each other's opinions. Because there's not a good answer, but it's important to spend time with people that are different than us, and it's important to feel heard, which is what chaplains do. We want you to feel heard, because there's healing in that. And it's important to feel that you're comfortable expressing yourself, who you are, and what you have to say in the world. That is Absolutely correct. And there, it's hard to get to. It takes a working yeah. balance, and it takes awareness, and it takes presence, and it takes, you know, frankly, a lot of pain to get to these things, to get to this stuff, and realize yeah. we we need to work on this stuff. Well, and it's, I think, the, one of the key things that you said is to listen to each other. Yeah. So many times you're having a conversation with somebody now, and they're really not listening to you, or you're not listening to them. They're just waiting for their opening to talk. It's funny you say that. Yeah. You know, it's um, I'm over here thinking about the cable news networks and how they always have that format of the three-person one-shot where mm-hmm. they have the anchor in the middle and they have the two people disagreeing on the side and all they do is yell over each other. There's not mm-hmm. one complete sentence. There's no punctuation. Mm-hmm. And it's like on a timer for he got 60 seconds to say everything you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And what what does that do to us? Well, for some reason, we find a lot of people in our culture are addicted to watching this stuff. And that's because it triggers dopamine in our brain, which gives us that little boost to feel exhilaration. As firefighters, we know that feeling when the bell goes off or when you're on the fire truck. There's an exhilaration when you're running hot to an emergency. And we become junkies for that feeling. We become junkies for the brain chemicals that are produced to make us feel like we're really alive. 
So we have to work really hard on those times when we're not responding on those calls to take care of ourselves because nothing feels as alive as running hot to a fire. And as a retiree, that is a hard thing to cope with because it doesn't exist outside that world. Yeah. Well, and like we were talking about earlier about having something to do, the transition. Oh, yeah. You know, so important and transitioning into what you've transitioned into now. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's the same, but you're still in that service role. Yeah. So I want to wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. how are you taking care of your mental health now because of what you're seeing as a chaplain? Yeah. It's, I would assume that you're having longer contact with people than when you did when you were a fireman. Very much so. Um, and, and pastorship in a church setting on top of that is long range relationships with people as they go through struggles and joys in their life. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think it's critical to destigmatize mental health issues. I have always struggled with depression. I've always struggled with anxiety, uh, therapy and, uh, and counseling is always critical to help with those things. I absolutely, um, uh, love having that time to be heard and understood and help me process those feelings. Um, most people that come from a religious leadership world would probably recognize that therapy is a critical portion of their, their self-care. Um, having a supportive uh, family is, is important because it takes a lot out of you to go and help other people. And then when you come home, you have to create sacred space where it's just you and your family and that time that you need for each other. They, it helps refill us. Um, there's a few little things that I do. Um, one of them that works for me, um, I carry a little rosary in my pocket. Uh, prayer beads are always nice. I have a ring that I wear that's a nail that I twirl on my finger. Just reminds me of something bigger than myself when I'm going through struggles and pain. Sometimes we need the physical items, to the tactile things to touch and feel. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need words or poems or deep breathing exercises um, in order to get ourselves centered and back to where we need to be. Um, this kind of work uh, was hard to do, though. I, I found myself in a very dark place post-retirement, um, not quite sure what to do with myself um, through uh, happenstance, and I believe through whole, the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, my wife and I found our way into the Episcopal Church again in our lives and connected with the church almost immediately, found myself involved in service projects that made me feel like I was giving to the community because I recognized that deep need for gratification, helping other people. I think anybody that comes from the first responder world has that, and helping other people shouldn't go away just because you're not doing it in a paid profession. And there's something very satisfying in helping people in a volunteer fashion too. Um, I had actually never really done good volunteer work until I got involved in my church and realized I needed this for my soul and to understand how God works through people that are going through hard times. Um, there's you know, a lot of beautiful things that can happen at the local soup kitchen down at 9th and Paseo. Um, you can work with people and have conversations that you would never have in the grocery store in the suburbs. And it feels like the job. It looks like the job, but you're doing something that's more than just keeping people from dying because people are walking around spiritually 
dying and spiritually dead every day. And when you can connect with somebody and give them a little bit of hope back, a little bit of light, and possibly bring a little reminder that God loves you back to them, there's no, nothing more fulfilling. And somewhere along the way, I discovered there was something in me that needed to do that. Um, my church has a wonderful process for that. I've been working on it for uh, close to three years now. We call it discernment. I'm in seminary working on um, a degree that will allow me to be ordained as a deacon in the Episcopal Church. People ask, what, what's a deacon? Uh, we have deacons and priests and bishops. There are three orders that are called in our church and some other Christian traditions. Um, we use biblical scripture from the book of the Acts, chapter 6, when the apostles found themselves after Jesus' ascension trying to organize a church. And the book gets into the overwhelming feelings that the apostles had trying to take care and spiritually nourish their community of Christians in a persecuted world. And they called seven men up to be deacons and fulfill this service of ministry. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonia. And that means to serve. And they were dealing with the Greeks at that time, so that deep connection to Greek, Greek language in the New Testament pops up pretty often. And what that did by creating deacons in a position of service towards the health and needs of the orphans and widows and the, the destitute was it created space for the apostles to focus on prayer and reflection on the word. We would call those priests today bishops, people that have a, a, an organizational oversight to make sure that a spiritual community moves forward. Many traditions call them different things. Ultimately, they're all pastoring the way Jesus did by taking care of people in need along the way, whether it's physical, psychological, or spiritual. So my work is to go out and help our first responders. They need it, and they are a marginalized society in our culture. And I sound like I'm pretty woke or socially justice <laughs> warrior-minded about this, but if you really look at the definitions of these things, what is a marginalized culture? That, that's a group of people who don't feel like they fit in. And I think we could all probably say we can go anywhere and feel like we're not going to fit in unless it's a bunch of other firemen. Uh, yeah. It's a struggle. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't struggle, disagree. I struggle with it over the summer in the hospital. And these people that I, that I went to school with uh, were absolutely – the greatest brothers and sisters that I could have had outside of the fire service. They absolutely loved me, and I loved them in return, and we cared about each other. And I brought more trauma to the table than I knew I had because they had not seen crappy calls. They hadn't seen people die that shouldn't have died or had to help with recovery situations <clears throat> that most people humanly would not be able to stomach. Those things don't go away just because you see them but I didn't process them effectively. I buried them deep in there and didn't think about them. And they came out when I got stressed, like, I, like you're supposed to in this training. Yeah. So we're working with therapy works uh, wonders in helping to process that, but also building community and bringing communities of people back together, integrating that community with other deeply caring spiritual people to help bridge the gap between first responders and the civilian world. We need to do that, and there are there are many caring people out there that want to help us. Yeah, well, I know from you know talking to my wife about you know all of the therapists that are you know out there and they want to do the work and but you know they're just not. Some of them are great, and you know, but 
some of them just aren't culturally competent and you end up, you know, they're going to end up more traumatized. Than, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that does happen, unfortunately. And, you know, we laugh about it and it's, but it's really not funny. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, they have a, they got a pretty rough job too. They got to sit there and they listen to, to our, us. They go and, back to our dark sense of humor too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and not, and not it's take created and it's yeah. protective. It's like yeah. a shield almost. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. have to not take that stuff home because it's easy to take on other people's feelings and take it all home and then it ruins your life. Oh yeah. And that takes, that takes work. That takes practice. And you, you mentioned cultural competency. That, that is such a critical thing. I've experienced people that don't understand the first responder world to the point that I find myself explaining to them things that cause them a lot more pain than mm-hmm. me just needing to talk about the things I need to talk about. Yeah. So talking is a big part of it. And what does a chaplain do? What does somebody like me do? Well, I am here to listen to you. Um, we do our training for chaplains in hospital settings and prison settings, schools, because it's a high concentration of people in an institution that are going through difficult things. And it gives us an opportunity to spend a lot of time with a lot of different people in a short, short window. And it's needed. In the fire service, uh, we traditionally have chaplains. Um, there's a ministry of presence that is critical by being known in the community of your firefighters. Police officers have chaplains as well. Um, I would argue that those institutions need a little, a little boost. It's been a long time since those things have been addressed in the fire service or in, in the police service. Um, there are effective and qualified clinical pastoral education programs in the hospital setting that are sponsored by the United States Department of Education um, that are dying to get in and help with first responder communities. The first responder communities aren't as easy to crack the ice of like the veterans community is because the veterans community is nationalized. You know, the Department of the VA takes care of veterans affairs, gets a lot of work done on a, on a big level, and then pushes it down to the state level. We're all municipal-based as, as, as first responders. Then the Department of Homeland Security really doesn't have a lot of say over this. So we're dealing with old-time traditions that need some updating, like we've been dealing with for probably the past 20 years in the post-9-11 firefighter world. And how do we do that? I would probably argue the best thing we could do is build communities like Alcoholics Anonymous has built 12-step programs independently. They have a lot of support from various churches, including the Episcopal Church, but ultimately they build these spaces and allow people to come together independent of any big oversight because it's really needed on a grassroots level to just get together and talk and be heard. Well, and I think if you tried to institute it, you know, or make it a rule or something like if the, if it was department pushed, Mm -hmm. like it maybe pushed isn't the right word, but you you understand what I'm saying? Like if it was mandated. Yeah. If you start creating a bureaucracy about it, you're going to have unintended consequences and it's going to get watered down. And I think, well, and people will be resistant to it. Yes. And if you look at religion in nature, if, if we take the words of, of Christ or the words of God at, at whole from Scripture and apply it to our present community, you know, I think of our closest community as our, as our family. And we pray together. We practice taking care of each other and taking care of others outside of our family. You're going to have the most competent community of, of faithful spiritually healthy people. 
when you get a little bit bigger, it becomes a little bit more, more hard to manage. You, you know, churches are difficult places and there can be difficult conversations and people that constantly disagree and other things get in the way, like repairing leaky roofs and, and getting out there and resurfacing parking lots and making sure that, you know, there's enough uh, accessible spaces for people with disabilities. Those things can feel like they water down the word, they water down your spiritual presence. But in, uh, in my world as a future deacon, my job is to go out into the world and find out what the world needs from the church, bring that message back to the church, and then have the church come and support and offer the help where it's needed. And in reality, being a former firefighter, um, the world experience of being on a fire truck and, and responding to the kind of calls we responded to has been a great help for the church to recognize there's a whole other layer of human society that they haven't seen very much of they everybody recognizes an emergency vehicle going lights and sirens down the street they recognize a major emergency when there's some smoke billowing in the air or you know a major tragic accident uh, on, on the interstate but what they don't see are all the little things that happen in between those times and what the people that respond have to deal with because the 24 calls in 24 hours you're responding to there might be one true emergency in those 24 calls a lot of those other calls are just whittling down on your ability to take care of yourself. And that's, that's critical. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, we've kind of talked about that a little bit about call volume just going up exponentially. Yeah. And, yeah. And something's I mean, got to be done. Yeah, something because has I, to be done. I mean, yeah. every department, and it's not just, you know, in general in the fire service and police departments. We are understaffed. Mm -hmm. We are overworked. And, yeah, do, do we like getting on the rig and going on those calls? Hell, yeah. Mm -hmm. We like to run calls. We like to be busy. But there is a limit to how much one person can sustain yeah. for any length of time. And if you're talking about you're going to run, hey, you're going to run 24 calls today. Cool. Hey, guess what? Now you're on mandatory overtime and you're going to run another 24 calls. Yeah. Not so cool. You know, and I, I, I've got a lot of unpopular opinions that I don't share very widely, but I think the traditional model of how we schedule the service is probably, probably it has its days numbered. Working a 24 hour shift is pretty brutal in this current environment. Mm-hmm. But how can you give somebody a living wage and a quality of life that makes this job attractive to come and apply for and make a career out of if you don't offer the right amount of things? I think you have to incentivize, you have to raise pay, you have to raise benefits, and you have to shorten work hours. Not necessarily because you're looking to get people more money for less work, but because taking care of yourself so you can be available to respond to those things needs to be equated into the process. Because in order for you to show up and do your job effectively, you have to be at your best that day. And if you're on your, you know, 48 hours, 24 of those are overtime, or you're going into 96 hours, uh, we've seen that before, mm -hmm. to the point that they've had to create policies to make sure you don't work too much overtime, but they're still short-staffed. What quality of care are you giving, and what's your risk and likelihood of physical injury uh, is it increasing? I would almost guarantee oh, it goes up exponentially. It's a huge issue. So we have to start looking at self-care for first responders. 
it's just it's needed and there are organizations uh, in, you know including our labor union that is working very hard at trying to come up with some good solutions to this stuff um, and that's great on a macro level but on a micro level the thing we have to do as individuals is start working together in communities hearing each other talking to each other and that's where the work that i'm personally passionate about is coming in getting people together to feel like they're welcomed in a community with an, people that care about them that may not necessarily come from the world but can can be right there with you for everything you need and and that that gap can be bridged with trust oh absolutely it can. and we have to build trust and and we have to be vulnerable and being vulnerable is not something we talk about as a good thing for firefighters <laughs> or big big american men we don't uh, we don't talk about vulnerability yeah no <laughs> <laughs> exactly <sighs> tool time come on <laughs> We've made him uncomfortable. He's yes, vulnerable. He's vulnerable. He's, yeah. yeah, you said the B word, Adam. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's one of the many ones I'm scared of. Yeah. Well, no, but it's. I mean, it's true though. But so we'll take it back to, you know, whenever you run calls as a medic. Pass. And, well, no, but the way that you build re- patient rapport. Yeah, I'm at. You kind of have to open yourself up a little bit a little to bit. be able to get them to trust you. I'm choosy. Yeah. I'm choosy about yeah. what I say and how I say it. Yeah. But I mean, one being nice right out of the gate is key. Getting down on their level, whether it's a child or some special needs, or even just an older person sitting down, you know, dropping out of that knee and talking to them. I mean, it shows that you're open to listen. And the the hardest part is running so many calls that we don't need to be there. Yeah. But it's a lot of times when you run those, the older people, they're lonely and they want someone to talk to and be hurt. They do. But, and you know, and that's, that's you because they're out of options. But I mean, that's not a bad thing. I don't mind those calls. It's the 2 a.m. toe pains or I've got a toothache. <laughs> Go to the dentist. I got some, <laughs> I, mean, I got some pliers. Yeah. So, but you waited until four o'clock in the morning to finally call. Yeah. 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 And yeah. It's, you can tell it's that person who's yeah. looking for the pain meds. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're saying right there is you're addressing yeah. bigger systemic issues. There are, there's a lot of issues. Yeah. Then the fire department can handle this is, this yeah. is a healthcare crisis in this country. It is. And it's, it's some of it's education. Yes. Some of it's policies I've put in place and it's an unpopular opinion, but big pharma companies, sure. they, they push opiates, on the doctors, give them kickbacks. We know that happens. They get addicted, and now what happens? You get toe pain. Or, oh, I cut myself, or I have abdominal pain, and then you have hospitals. And I found this out doing medic clinicals. They get scorecards about, about your visit. And if you get three bad reviews, you get fired. And that means that if that junkie comes in, and we all know that those people who are pain med-seeking, and they, I have abdominal pain, I need pain meds. Well, they have to give it to them now. If not, the corporate people are going to fire them because they got a bad review. So it takes the healthcare out of healthcare because mm-hmm. it's not healthy to give somebody who's got an opiate addiction opiates. So, you're, so now your hands are tied. Yeah. You're laying out exactly the formula that somebody in a spiritual presence can help assist and relieve the workload of first responders with. And this is a little bit different than helping first responders, but helping the community. Yeah. We've talked a lot about community paramedics and how community paramedics can work um, by alleviating some of the emergency calls. 
And in the hospital setting, as a as a chaplain, we can spend a lot of time with patients that a lot of the physicians and nurses don't have time to spend. And you can uncover quite a few things that need better addressing. Because when you talk about substance abuse, there's almost always a psychological pain that's behind that substance abuse. Absolutely. I mean, and I know from working downtown many years in the uh, the homeless community that substance abuse. Um, so it's rampant. It's rampant in the in the people that do not seek the shelters because it requires sobriety to be in the shelters, and there's a reliance upon the substance that creates a whole new culture, and not much is being done to address that issue on a psychological level, on a spiritual level. But then you also have that issue of, and I'm not downplaying what no, you're doing. Right. I think it's great, yeah. but people, they have to want the they, help. That, that, that's, you're 100% right. People have to want help in order to receive it. And that goes for everybody that gets admitted into a hospital, mm-hmm. everybody that walks in the door of a church. If well, they even, don't even want goes the help. for in the firehouse. Not everybody wants that's that right. help. That's the free will we were talking about yeah. way earlier. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it goes back to suffering. And do we want to suffer? And the question you have to ask yourself, because we're getting really deep in, in the philosophy <laughs> here, do we want to suffer? Because deep down... We think we deserve it. We think we deserve it because there's something that we're ashamed of about us that we can't control that we feel doesn't allow us to be worthy. Well, and, that's one thing that Jeremy touched on about being prepared for this job and preparing cadets coming in, whether it's law enforcement, military, fire, or even EMS, nurses, doctors. Sometimes you have to make decisions that, one, aren't popular, mm-hmm. but two, that could cost somebody their life. So, you know, as, as you know, we've all, I've, I've done it. I know I, I can't speak for you two, but triaging. Yeah. Like, I can help these four, but this one's, sorry. And it's not a, it's not a good feeling. No. It's, it's a horrible feeling. I hope nobody has to go through it again. Do you know what that term's called? But, it's called moral injury. The military has been studying moral injury for, like I said, 50 years veterans that have come home from active combat that have had to make decisions to pull triggers in places that they can't unsee ever again. And psychiatry can help in some ways, but it can't help in all the ways. That's where professional chaplains, that's where spiritual wellness comes in. Um, We in the first responder community suffer from moral injuries in a number of ways. One of them is, did I do chest compressions as good as I should have? Was I on my A game pushing medics, uh, pushing drugs in the back of the ambulance? Um, we know where, where cops suffer from moral injuries similar to veterans and the idea of having to use violence to stop violence. One of the things that surprised me as I was studying some of the Department of the VA information here, um, moral injury can come from incompetent leadership and how it systemically affects our ability to do our job or be compensated to do our job. And that hit me hard this morning when I was reading this, thinking about the merger that we've all gone through with our ambulance service coming into the fire service and how that's affected the culture and morale, merging two different cultures together, and looking at our brothers and sisters that came from that department, having their world fade away. We're living in a time where people are really are really suffering, and other departments that um, we had talked to knew that it took 20 years in order to fully merge a culture and we're halfway through that and on top of that dealing with an increase in call volume dealing Mm -hmm. with um a lack of funding i mean it's it's a constant level of stress yeah so what can we do to take care of ourselves 
because that moral injury is real and it can fester and become a problem in our lives where we don't think highly of ourselves. And we tend to do a good job of taking ourselves down a notch voluntarily in front of everybody else in the firehouse so that way they don't get to us first. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to be called the fat kid when they're the fat kid, so they start hitting themselves up as the fat kid in order to, you know, take care of that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not fun to pick on somebody if they're just, you know, skinny and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> healthy and in fit and in shape. Yeah. <laughs> they wear all their feelings on their outer folds, not, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. deep down inside. You know, that's, I that's keep mine. This fold up here. Yeah. Underneath. Yeah. I've got mine, mine, mine back here. So I get it. it. It's, it's creating space for people to talk about things they go through that feels like the firehouse outside of the firehouse. We have, we have to give people a place to go. You know, in the mid-20th century, <clears throat> excuse me, take a sip here. <clears throat> in the mid-20th century, we saw a peak in social clubs in the United States. Um, two World War generations came home, joined the Elks Lodge, the VFW, the American Legion, the Masonic Lodges, on down the list. And we saw this surge in social clubs because I think we all can probably agree as adults, it's hard to make friends outside of your workplace. It's hard to make friends with people that are really get you, really you, that you have time for and they've got time for you. So you kind of have to build it into your schedule. And those societies dealt with what they called shell shock back then. There wasn't really a good clinical diagnosis for post-traumatic stress injuries. And they relied upon those spaces where sometimes it was just the men. Sometimes it was the men and the women together. But it was space to do things outside of their normal routine. And in our fire service... We don't really have that. It's all fire department all the time. You know, the police officers I know, it's all police department all the time. And to have that space that gives you people that have gone through things you've gone through and people that care about the things you've gone through come together in an intentional time and space and, like I said, have a meal together or just have a cup of coffee together and talk about life, that, that's a good thing to do because we're not getting that through social media the the uh, the internet the internet is just giving us a platform to think. Yeah, you're going to put me on a soapbox. Well, and that, that's that's it. We have we have substituted these social clubs with social media, and with the Great America Experiment of the last 20 years has proven that it's made us less understanding of each other, less relatable to each other, more combative with each other, and now our 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 health in all areas is starting to suffer. Mm-hmm. So promoting physical in person gatherings has to happen again so we my brother and i actually joined a masonic lodge i'm a, I'm a brother about, too are you yeah, yeah. Pa- past master i haven't home masonic lodge at 85th and Holmes. okay yeah <laughs> where i'm a little further north where yeah <laughs> we'll talk about that later yeah, yeah. <laughs> well now i get to show some of my masonic yeah. brothers because they're all excited about this stuff too yeah. and we'll, yeah, we'll, we got an event coming up critical. i don't know if you guys know about it i'll tell you about that too but yeah um sitting down you know on the meeting nights sitting mm-hmm. down and eating dinner you need it it's a lot of fun plus we have guys that are there's there's cops yeah retired law enforcement truck drivers i mean you name the profession lots of veterans one guy yeah. he, he, i can't i don't know how old he is but he flew, he was in the army air corps in world war ii still comes it's, that's, that's listening awesome. to him talk is awesome oh yeah. his stories so, are great so whenever we turn the camera off can you guys tell me what the secret to oak island is no, uh, I, I you're not. Lie. You're not sworn in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't, can't give you that one. <laughs> it won't, I won't record it. I promise. <laughs> you know, and that and I won't that, tell you where Jimmy Hoffa is either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different secret society. Yeah, yeah. You are not Italian. <laughs> I'm you Greek, know, man. Just 
We're cousins. <laughs> you One know, island, the other island. Come on. It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's critical that we have space to go to yeah. connect with each other, with people that are like us. And that gives us that ability to give our families and our job the best of ourselves. Because in a way, by doing that, we're giving God the best of ourselves. And what else is there to live for? We live to do good for others because God is the community. The community is God. I mean, they talk about the body of Christ. That's the people that you interact with every day. Because seriously, look in the eyes of every person you talk to. And realize, you oh yeah, I do. <laughs> I should just take it with me. Yeah, and, and realize it's it's, it's yeah, movable. It is movable. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> you have to realize that you every person you treat, you should be treating as if that's God themselves. Human well, dignity, and it's a. I agree, a hundred percent. Oh, it's hard, but you know as well as I do that is not. That is not our culture no. in America right now because, no. and it hasn't been for some time. It's more about what can I get? How can I get ahead? You know, the, well, I'm entitled to this. I should get mm-hmm. this. It's me, 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 me. It's not about what you can do for others, which I think that's also a part of the problem of why police departments, fire departments, you know, any type of community service, even therapists are yeah. woefully understaffed. There's just not enough of them. Even, I mean, even hospitals now. Yeah. Oh, it's getting hospitals, bad. Hospitals, any yeah. type of job that is like a service job, you know, which that's what we are. We provide a service. That's right. You know, we don't have applicants. People aren't beating down the door Mm-mm. to go do that kind of job. I mean, there's a, we, we talked about medics. Mm-hmm. There's a worldwide shortage in medics. Yeah. It's I mean, one, medical school is not easy. Two, they're trying to make it harder now. Three, it doesn't pay what it should. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not Well, that's not, that's not exclusive to medics. I mean, no. think about it. Teachers are woefully no, underpaid. I'm not, I'm not saying you that. Know, the job those are yeah. issues. And, I mean, EMS is still 50 years old. I mean, the 70s. Yeah. The show emergency really brought paramedics to, to the limelight. Mm-hmm. But that's about when it started. Because mm-hmm. it used to be, yep, throw them in the station wagon and drive them to the hospital. Yeah. There was no care on the way. No. So it's, you know, as far as, like, when you compare it to fire service or law enforcement, EMS is still an, a toddler. Yeah. At best. Well, and the jobs that require the most amount of compassion are the jobs that are least compensated in, yeah. in our society. I mean, look at social workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the work it takes to make it better, I would argue, is intentionally or unintentionally happening right now yeah it's a shortage and there needs to be better pay better benefits better reason to do this it needs to be more of an appeal and the people that are suffering like all of us right now by living in a space where we don't have good benefits we don't have good pay and we still have to do the job there needs to be extra care and that extra care is going to have to come from outside entities like the Episcopal Church and many other denominations that are ready to help and other religions too. And it's not so much about religion or about subscribing to their version of God as it is about being together. And I learned in the hospital over the summer as it felt like clergy fire academy. Um, and it, it kind of backed that up that it's exactly what it was. 
like they say, there's no atheists in foxholes. Well, in the hospital, there's no atheists either because you'll see things where that don't make sense. People that don't die that absolutely graduate from, from uh, hospice and they should have died. And people that shouldn't have died die for no reason. And it happens daily. And you're watching nursing staff, you're watching support staff, physicians beat themselves up when they have a bad night with their rapid response calls. And they can't keep people alive that absolutely shouldn't, shouldn't have had a problem staying alive because there's something bigger to life and death than just the science of it. The science gives us a good glimpse of what goes on in life and death, but there's, there's a soul with the body that can choose to leave whenever it chooses to leave, and there's nothing anybody can do about that part of it. I mean, how many times have we done CPR, and you think they're on the edge of coming back, but they never do. Mm-hmm. Or people that should be coded don't really ever code. They kind of stay going the whole way through it. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And when you can realize there's more to it than just the physicality of, of life, it gives you a chance to realize there's something bigger than us. And we need to talk to that thing that's bigger than us. So do you, do part, part of your stuff, do you guys go around talking to schools too? Like elementary, middle, junior high, high you, school stuff? Yeah, you know, um, we have a school, uh, a school in, our, in our denomination mm-hmm. here in the area. The Catholic Church has a lot of schools. Yep. Lutherans do too. Um, that education ties a little bit of the, the faith-based education with the, the general education. Public schools don't really mix with religion all that well. We do work in partnership um, in my local parish with some schools that are uh, filled with underprivileged children. And we work for essentially food programs to make sure that they have food for the weekends when they go home. Mm-hmm. Most of these kids receive assisted food when they're at the school, but so, fr- Friday night through some Monday morning, they're on their own and yeah, they're, 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 they're parents, hungry. whatever, you know, yeah, wherever the parents are, too. Yeah, they're the same people, they're the exact <laughs> yeah. same people. So it's a chance to help them with the basic needs that are not emergency based. So with, with giving them food and, and so I think, which I think is a great thing. I, I've noticed one thing that's lacking especially mm-hmm. in the in the underprivileged areas yeah is basic medical knowledge mm-hmm. and that's another reason why like our quality of volume has increased yeah. to little things you know so if we cuz i remember learning basic first aid stuff now mm-hmm. granted i was in the boy scouts too so that was it was there but that's part of education yeah and if we don't teach that anymore it needs to be brought back. Well, if you think a lot and, of the things we don't teach anymore, and when I was going to school in the 80s and 90s, we still had home ec. We still had shop class. Yep. That yep. stuff's all been cut. Took those. So, those are yeah, fun. Those are fun. And they're teaching life skills. Yeah. Um, the one class I'm glad I paid attention to is typing. All the papers I've had to write in the past year and a half. <laughs> yeah. It's been really helpful to know how to type. But it's. Um, I would argue that our schools might need an overhaul. I mean, when, they need a big what, overhaul. What school teaches a finance class, like how to balance a checkbook? See, and I remember learning that. And school, yeah, in grade school, you, you your money unit, so you learned how to count back change, yeah, because we we all we're all about the same age, yeah. You learned how to balance a checkbook, write a check, mm-hmm. never learned how to do taxes, yeah. You know, so a basic life skill that we all have to do once a year. Like I don't even do it now; my wife does it. <laughs> <laughs> Just pay somebody who's smarter than me. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's why I married her. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we, and we use TurboTax, so it doesn't. You just pretty much. Your button pusher. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, things like that, those, like you said, you brought up home ec and stuff like yeah. that. Teaching you how the basic, because you, you learn the basic food groups. Mm-hmm. So now you learn how to cook. 
when you sit down and eat as a family, that brings you back to your yeah your, your spirituality. You know, historically, big circle, yeah. big circle. Well, it's true. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> Chris likes to take the long way. I was waiting to see how it was going to unfold there, yeah. and, and it did. It did. Yeah. But you know, we, we I do it on purpose. We we've gotten to a point in our country about a hundred years, close to a hundred years of federalizing a lot of things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the question we have to ask is how were people taken care of before those times? And they were, I mean, not necessarily as effectively in some areas, but I would argue more effectively in other areas. And that was usually through religious charities. Um, A lot of hospitals were set up as charity systems. A lot of churches did a lot of charity work in those areas. And they did an effective job in helping in many ways. Um, Obviously, the government's helped in many other ways that weren't effective when it comes to basic needs being supplied. But it's like the balance of social media, learning how to use critical-based thoughts versus um, your biological needs in order to balance your life. We need to find a balance in order to help people take care of their basic needs, retain their human dignity, get back on their feet, and at the same time, get food on the table, Mm -hmm. get trained for a good job, and be able to live. And It definitely needs to be a balance and throwing more money at it. Throw more money at it. Not going to work. It, it doesn't necessarily work, you know. And it's 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 that need to to analyze how effective is the money, and is the outcome what you're intending it to be. A lot of the times, outcome based information um, gets marginalized quickly because it's about saying that we're giving, not about hey we're really helping people. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the world where your Instagram post means more than what's in your bank account. For most people, um, the outcome is not the desired goal. It's the recognition for just starting. Mm-hmm. And we're okay. run, we run into that everywhere. So, And, you know, in the first responder world, there's a lot of weight to carry to keep society from falling apart. And it feels like it's being held together with, you know, dental floss at this point. Yeah, the duct tape's long gone. Yeah. It's down to the threads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more like scotch tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, it started out as duct tape. That was where I was going with we that. Need, we need some flex seals, what we need. Oh, Is well, that the spray on <laughs> stuff? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, they have that and they have like the big duct tape looking stuff, too. It works. Yeah. Just rhino line everything. <laughs> I'm a line, Linex guy. Linex. There we go. <laughs> Eternal battle. I don't even yeah. have a pickup truck anymore. So <laughs> mine came lined this time. So there you go. Oh, there you my go. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel's truck's had a bed liner in it, so they do that now. We should. It's better to come from the factory than to oh, have yeah. it done afterwards. Yeah. But, I mean, I I had a truck that was Rhino line that faded. The Line X seemed to hold up a little better. And I'm not telling somebody to pick one or the other. That's what I my experience. Well, yeah. we're not endorsed by either, so. It could be, di- it could be different good, for somebody Good that you got that disclaimer in there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the views of Chris don't reflect the... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I, my views are always right. That's what I was told last night. Oh, really? Yeah. Jane, little, Jane told you that, didn't yeah, she? We were watching a like, football game. Did yeah. you believe it? That's the question. Well, yeah, she told me. She's smarter than me. No, of course I believed her. <laughs> so the Chiefs won, in your opinion. <laughs> oh, they absolutely won. <laughs> the defense should've, lost. Should yeah. yeah. The <laughs> offense won, the defense lost. That's accurate. That's Although, accurate. you know, when, when you have multiple turnovers and a defense who can't stop anybody. Ooh. It was brutal. Yeah, I was it mad. Was brutal, yeah. Well, it's good that we're I, – I read this last night, and I appreciated it. We're losing the games we should have won in the middle of the season versus in the playoffs. Yeah. So I'll take it. 
I think they'll still make the playoffs. Yeah. There's not, always, and, there's always a, and there's always a chance in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. So. You never know what's going to happen. And yeah. So I just want to see a good football game. Football game. It's a, a little okay, bit of, you fan, man. I'm used to losing football games. <laughs> <laughs> still yeah. holding on to that 2008 Orange Bowl. That's victory. right. <laughs> hey, we got one win this season. And I'm happy. That's, nice. a, that's a success for Against us. Against nice. an FCS team. Hey, man, a win's a win. Win's a win. I know the, I know the SEC's got their games see, coming against the little junior colleges see, I went, later I went, in the season. I went to Park College. We didn't really have sports. So <laughs> I just – I cheer for the whole area. So. Yeah. As long as it's not K-State. Yeah. Yeah, we can all agree on yeah, that. Yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> I got a buddy who's a huge K-State fan. Yeah. And we go at it all the time. He takes a beating during basketball season. Because <laughs> they always think they have a chance. Yeah. It always happens. He's like, oh, we're going to win. I'm like, no, you're not. What's a win? Like, you lost by 25? Is that a win? One good season with Bob Huggins, and they thought that it was yep. all turned around. But, you know, when Frank Martin was there, he did great. Frank Martin was good. I like yeah. And I like Frank. I, I thought he was going to have an aneurysm every oh, yeah. game. I, I loved his facial expressions were awesome. Man. He, he was a good coach. And, you know, he's, I met him. <laughs> I actually met him in Manhattan. Oh, cool. Him and Bill Snyder. And they were both really nice. I had a KU hat on, too. <laughs> but they, they were everywhere you go. They were super nice. I mean, yeah. and I, I wasn't. It's not like I was up there talking shit. Just because they're <laughs> both great coaches. Yeah, and that's what yeah. it was about. And, yeah. Well, that's like what I was talking about earlier: the ability to, you know, disagree but still be friends. Oh yeah, that's it. And now Frank Martin's at South Carolina. Yeah, that's. I think that's where he's from, though. So. Uh, and the K yeah, State made the best hire I could ever have imagined possible. Who is it? Bruce uh, Weber. Oh, Bruce Weber. Yeah. The program killer. Yeah, <laughs> as I like to call him. Pretty brutal. Because I mean, think about it. he took over for Bill Self at Illinois. That team he took to the title game yeah. was Bill Self's team, and he still couldn't win it. That was O two. It's okay. College sports are about <laughs> screwed up as the first responder community uh, that they the, are. The yeah. way that they're exiting out uh, Texas and Oklahoma, it's just going to destroy the Big 12. Oh, yeah. Well, they're so, bringing in, uh, was it, what I see? Houston. Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, yeah. and UCF. City schools in Central Florida. I mean, which Big 12's done. It, it doesn't feel like a major conference anymore. It won't be. It really, it's been dead to me since MU left. MUKU rivalry was everything. I see that's coming back. But it won't and, be the same. In basketball it is. I see, it, won't be, it won't be the same. No. So. But it's, it's still, I mean, we all still like to talk smack to well, each other. Course, or, yeah. Which is fun. I, I actually enjoy that part. Yeah. It's when somebody, it's you, I don't care what side you're on, there's always that one person mm-hmm. that takes it too far, and you're like, really? Come on, man. A little regional pride. We're all having fun a minute ago, and you got to go and be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe they're dealing with something. That's human nature. That's yeah, what they yeah, do. Fans, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurt. Oh, yeah. Well, Adam. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. I we appreciate it. it. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me come and talk about this. Oh, so. absolutely, man. I I love I, what I you're doing. Again. Thanks. Yeah. I look forward to uh, sharing in the future how it starts to build. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I would definitely yeah. have to come back on and talk definitely. about that kind of stuff and see where your program's at. Yeah. There's there's some people that are all kind of. And I, where the Holy Spirit's working, they're all kind of showing up at the same time in need of doing the same thing. And it's pretty cool to see it take place. You just have to uh, be grateful every day. So yeah. if you give so. Jeremy the information, we could put it on the we'll do. Facebook yeah. page. and We'll put it on 
put it on the old social media. Whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever hashtag you want to use. Yeah, hashtag. Yeah. You got it. Hashtag Episcopalian. Hash brown, whatever. <laughs> got to do some sort of like TikTok dance too. So. Pass. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not dancing. But <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make Moran do that. He's yeah. a TikToker. So unfortunately he couldn't be here today. But um, okay. yeah, dude, yeah. Keep us, keep me informed of, you know, what's going we'll on. And um, we'll definitely push it out there i appreciate it i appreciate what you guys are doing here and it's good that we're uh as a community building mindful awareness of what we all need to keep doing this job and how to live with the things we've done on the job yeah so well and to just be able to you know be happy and not be miserable it's hard it is it is hard it's you would think you know i mean find that hobby yeah yeah or whoever to talk to whatever you got to do this is that's it and I'm not downgrading what you're doing, yeah, but yeah. to me, it's another feather in the cap. Well, essentially, some people need physical things to do. I know yeah. a couple guys that their thing is like pickleball, and that's what they do. They need a physical sport to go out and get that energy out, and there's that is good. There's there's need in that area too. That takes all kinds, mm-hmm. and I've I've recognized a long time ago that I find that deep connection and having good conversations like this. Yeah. This makes my day. Well, so. and, you know, I think you hit it nail on the head whenever you were talking about you know there being three aspects the the physical the mental and the spiritual Mm -hmm. so i mean i think yeah you definitely have to have the mental part if you're not physically capable you know or physically fit then that kind of leads to the rest of it you know you know okay i'm in pain all the time well that your mental health takes a toll yeah then your spiritual health takes a toll you know so if any one of those things is out of balance. It's going to throw everything else out of balance. Exactly. You know, and, and the only thing you'll hear me say that is um, would sound like evangelism is these churches out here, they need firefighters in it. They need you guys. And I say that because they need to know what the world's really dealing with when somebody calls 911. And unless they know us, they're not going to know. And we have a gift to give everybody else. And we have responsibility to help them because they're going to help us try to correct society right now with the bigger issues that we're running into where basic education is not being met, basic needs are not being met. So there's a little bit of a sense of duty that I want to you know, impress upon everybody that gets a chance to see this or listen to this. Be involved in your community outside of just getting on the fire truck and responding to calls and receiving a paycheck for that. It's needed. We're... This sounds goofy, but we're local heroes in the sense that every kid wants to be a firefighter and every other guy on the street sees a firefighter and goes, wow, that guy's willing to die for somebody. That's a big deal. And they need to know us, not just see us. So yeah, be a part of your community. It's a big part. Yep. Many ways to do it. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that we had today. And like we end every episode, if you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. And if you know somebody that's struggling, talk to them, let them know what resources are out there. You know, there are people to help. So, all right, take care of yourself.